Hi there, and welcome to Chaos Corral. I'm Ted Benson, co-founder and managing partner of Corraling Chaos, a management consulting firm. Corraling Chaos is a catalyst for authentic leadership and high-performing teams. We're here today with Marshall Brain, professor at North Carolina State University, and I'm going to let him introduce himself further. Marshall? I'm probably best known as the founder of How Stuff Works, the website. It also morphed into books and a magazine and TV and a bunch of other things. And eventually it was sold to Discovery Channel. And after that happened, I decided to go back to teaching. So I teach a class in entrepreneurship at NCSU. In my class, you trade out your normal senior design project for a a startup company. You spend two semesters coming up with a product idea and creating a startup company around it. So essentially, I get to help start about 20 startup companies a year and take them from scratch to you're ready to talk to investors. And it's incredibly fun to be a part of this group of about 100 students normally. And they just have so much energy and so many ideas and they haven't gotten jaded yet or, you know, or (laughs) cynical or any of that stuff. So it's, it really is a, a lot of fun. And they start with a blank sheet of paper, which lets them really have a diversity of projects that is quite compelling to be a part of. So for those who may not be familiar with North Carolina State University, can you tell us a little bit about NCSU, its size and its mission? So NC State is about 35,000 students. It's the largest university in the UNC system. It's got a really a a world-renowned engineering college that has tens of thousands of graduates working out in industry. It's a a full-on mega-university kind of environment. So it's clear that entrepreneurship, including tech-based startups, is near and dear to your heart. Why is that? So if you think about how to be creative in modern society, right, you can become an artist. We can't really sail across the ocean blues and discover new you know, land masses. But entrepreneurship is so cool because you can insert almost any idea you want into the world economy or into the U.S. economy And then you see whether it takes off or not. And the amount of creativity that's possible and then the reward that's possible if it actually does work is really compelling and intriguing and fun. I hear you. Having been in three startups myself, I get it, especially since those were scientific startups, right? And and one of the things I always loved about science was that you're pushing the boundaries of what's known. You're you're figuring stuff out. You're discovering things, right? And so that dovetails really well with, with what you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. The amount of freedom that's possible. I mean, it all over the maps. I saw this thing. There's a brand of water that comes in tall boy cans. It's called Liquid Death. And it was, <laughs> it was originally created so that people who were doing Hollywood or concert or gigs like that 
had something edgy that they were drinking, but it was completely, it was water that they were drinking, <laughs> but it brilliant. came in a can brilliant. that says liquid death. And last week they raised another $43 million around that company and it's water <laughs> in a can. So now, <laughs> now like everybody listening to this is saying, Oh man, why didn't I think of this? <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. There's so much freedom possible and there's literally infinity things that have yet to be created. I mean, if you can can water and put a liquid death label on it and a couple of years later raise $43 million around that idea, anything is possible. That's great. I think a wonderful introduction because the theme for this podcast's season at Chaos Corral is learning the value of culture. And so we're talking about business cultures. And so you, you've already sketched out. I wonder what the culture is like at Liquid Death, but you've seen lots of different startups, right? The ones you've been part of, the ones you've seen, the ones that you've seen sort of, you know, just nascent in the class that you teach. What kinds of cultures have you seen in, in those environments? Wow. So if we think about sort of the different things I've been involved in. So before How Stuff Works, I was in a software consulting company that I had started with a friend. So that software consulting company had a culture and then we would go out and consult with other companies. And many of these were quite large, big, big, big companies with each with their own culture. And then How Stuff Works got bought by Discovery and it had a culture. And I mentor a lot of startups and you're right, I help in the formation of 20 startups at NC State. And each one of them is five students, and they have their little microculture, right, right. some of which are fabulous, and some of them <laughs> sometimes just off the rails, right? <laughs> you only have two semesters and five people. How off the rails can you get? But it happens, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, and it's all because humans are humans. So if... Given good guidance and education and goodwill and honest attempts at meeting people in the middle, almost any group of people can make things work out. But then there's so many other variations on the human condition and human nature that you often get outcomes that are totally unexpected. And if we're going to talk about culture, it's, we have to mention the book that CEO of Zappos wrote, which is called Delivering Happiness, uh -huh. which is a whole book on culture and a lot of other, I mean, it has a lot of the history of Zappos in it as well. But a huge part of that book is culture. Uh -huh. And the reason is because he had a first company before Zappos and the culture got so screwed up that he just didn't even want to go into the office anymore. Uh -huh. It had become this thing that he didn't want to have anything to do with. And he's quite candid about it. Like, oh my God, I've woken up this morning and I don't want to go to the place I created. And that gets to the point that the culture is like a garden yep. and it has to be tended yep. and it can a metaphor, get... A metaphor that I love and use all the time. That's uh, right. And you do have some way to reset your garden right. or, you know, a lot of things you can push a reset button on, Right. but there are things where it's really hard. Like if a marriage falls apart, it's hard to push the reset button because, you know, you get ill will and uh -huh. 
And all right, kinds a friend, of as a friend of mine who's in that space has said, you know, you get to a point, she's a marriage counselor and actually has worked at the academic side on marriage counseling. And, and one of the key components is contempt, right? If people in the organization just uh. want a marriage, feel contempt for each other, then it's generally really hard to pull it around. Mm-hmm. But I want to pull it back for a second because those are great points. And I love the metaphor of the garden for culture and all that. But in terms of the startups that you've seen, you've seen the guys who go completely off the rails and you've seen the folks who do well at creating their culture. Give me an example of a culture that has really hummed, that has been really nice. And I suspect you've seen several like that, that have just worked well. So the teams that that really work in the environment I work in are when you have five people. And first of all, they're all nice. None of them are assholes. And I think, I mean, there's a whole book called The No Asshole Rule, which is about <laughs> culture, right? Yeah, right, right That's yeah, another yeah. book yep. that we have to enter into the conversation. It cannot be overstated the corrosive effect that even a single asshole can have. And occasionally you need an asshole. Like if you have to bulldozer through a mountain of government red tape, let's say. That might be a place, but in the normal sphere of startup world, you don't need any assholes. So the first thing you would say is that you have a group of people who can get along with other people. They can work on a team and they can treat each other with respect and gratitude and the things that we would consider normal, nice behavior between human beings. So that's probably the first thing is that they're just decent people. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is they are motivated or they are able to execute mm-hmm. that ability to see what needs to get done and then figure out a way to get it done and then go get it done in a finite amount of time. And to do that without anybody really even having to ask you, that's mm-hmm. the truly ideal case. Right. But if there is somebody who's asking you, they don't have to ask you twice. There's no nagging that has to occur. You're able to get things done in a quality way, often in an impressive way, is it almost makes a person formidable when they can actually execute and execute and execute. And execute. Like you just are so glad to be with them. Not everybody is like that. So you have nice people who are able to execute and then they all are focused on the same endpoint or goal, whatever those three really kind of stand out to me, maybe. Okay. So the core is decent people, able to execute, focused on the same goal. Yes. Cool. That's very nice. Okay. So now we have to go to the other side, go to the dark <laughs> side here, because I know people want to hear this. Oh, I want to hear this. So give me an example of a team or two that has spectacularly misfired and not necessarily for technical reasons, right? Because obviously well-intentioned people focused on the same goal, able to execute. Sometimes things just don't work. What I'm interested in is, is, and I'm sure people are right now, is, okay, maybe everything's fine technically, but from a culture standpoint, the thing just goes completely off the rails. All right. Well, if we take any of those three things and we make them the opposite, so it's not nice people, it's assholes or backstabbers or just unpleasant people, mm-hmm. then it's, it's just going to be a toxic culture. If you have a whole office full of sharks who are competing with each other, it just is 
gross. I don't, I don't know a better way. And I'm sure there are, are, we could find people who say, well, no, that's what you want. You want a bunch of sharks competing with each other and trying. And I, maybe there are cultures like that, that work and people survive them, but I, I haven't seen one. I immediately, I immediately think of death of a salesman or, or Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? <laughs> Always be closing. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. And they are, they are intended to produce at high level, but they're not good for the people who actually are in there. The people in there are practically grist for the mill. Right. <laughs> we could talk for a long time about that movie. Cause there, <laughs> there are so much better ways that yes. the same goal could have been reached. Right. Exactly. But, exactly. Okay. So, so the decent people able to execute focused on same goal. If any right. of those go off offline, then the whole thing can fall apart. Either you've got backstabbing right. people or, or maybe they're, maybe they're nice, but they're incompetent or yeah, they're, they they're, they're, they're not focused. Done. Right. Or you have three clicks and they're all headed in different directions. People just aren't working together and then they're fighting for resources. It just, you know, we've had, a very, very small number of teams that, that go off the rails, but a typical scenario is the people on the team, none of them really want to do anything. They won't get anything done. And so the solution to that, from my perspective as a faculty member, I've, I've had situations where I made the team meet in my conference room every day for an hour and bring their stuff, the stuff for their prototype or their presentation or whatever. And you're, you all are just going to sit in this room. I don't care if you get stuff done or not, but you are going to come together and you are going to be in this room and you, you should try to get this done today. And if you force them together like that, they, they can actually usually figure it out. Like, like eighth grade science projects where it's that guy who's always trying to sponge off of everybody else in the group. Right. right? But if you have four of those, <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. You're, it's lost. Like, you, yeah, there's no way. Exactly. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, when you just put random people together, sometimes that happens. Yeah, A team can, can survive one person like that. Although we do let our teams fire people. Wow. And that tends to cut down on that phenomenon almost completely. But if you have four people like that or five, they can't fire, you know, they can't, well, they will never get up enough energy to fire each other. And they, <laughs> become an island of incompetence. <laughs> right? They never get anything done. And it's and from, from the outside. It's like, Oh my gosh, it's just, they <laughs> even can it. have a good idea and, and, but they just can't get the workout. Man, that, man. Okay. So I'm going to pivot a little bit here. What's the value of culture? Well, Tony from Zappos would say, if you have a bad culture, you absolutely don't want to be a part of it. It's toxic and you know it's toxic and you are actively making excuses to not come in or you hate coming in. And you know that when you do come in, that you're just going to be dealing with crap the whole time. You're either going to be dealing with asshole people, which is crap, or you're going to be dealing with people who can't get the stuff done, which is horrible. Or, you know, everybody's complaining and whining and using excuses to not get stuff done or it's just terrible. But then if it's a good culture, you know, the idyllic cheers phenomenon where everybody knows your name and you come in and it's like you're walking into a a big group hug, right? (laughs) I mean, 
it's like a family is and we we also we have to talk about scale Mm -hmm. when we're talking about this but we can come to that later but if you come in and you're with a good group of people and everybody's synced up and you're getting stuff done and you enjoy the people you're with, it can be better to be at work than it is to be at home. That's right? really, really a fascinating way of formulating it. And yes, I actually remember speaking to a guy in a company I was with a few years ago who was just stressed out to the extreme at home. And he said, I just love coming to work. <laughs> he had two, he had like twins under the age of one. And, and I mean, it was, it was a difficult experience at home. I mean, he loved his wife and kids, but he's just come to work. He says, and I know what I'm doing. He says, I know what I'm doing. And I know if I do it right, it's going to work. And, and I know people respect me and everything. What I think I hear you saying about the value of culture is it could be the difference between failure and success. Sure. Yeah. Because you get to a point where the culture can't get anything accomplished or it's getting accomplished at such a a low rate and at such a high amount of energy, Hmm. the equation just doesn't work. And if you have a resonant enough product, you can, you can maybe overcome that. But in any normal situation, if everybody hates each other and they hate what they're doing, and they don't believe in what they're doing. You put those three things together, it's just horrible. <laughs> you, just, you have no desire. And so what happens then is that people start start leaving, right? They send out their resumes and they want to go somewhere where it's not like that. Right. So I want to get into some other things. First of all, let's talk about scale. You wanted to talk about scale. Go. Okay. So if you have a group with five or 10 people in it, That is one scenario, but you get above that. Let's say you have 50 people. The thing that's weird about it, if you're not actively thinking about culture, is that you get weather phenomenon, I'm going to call it. So when I say weather phenomenon, what I mean is no one with a common understanding of how air works in their normal lives would think, that a hurricane could happen or a tornado. Because there's such extreme events so far out, out of regular experience. Right. I'm sitting in a room and it has air in it and there's never going to be a tornado that forms in this room. And it doesn't matter if I make the room as big as a Boeing assembly plant. No matter how big I make the room, there's never going to be a tornado in it or a hurricane. But as you scale things up and you get more people involved, more and more weird stuff can start to happen that if you're not actively attending the garden, to go back to that analogy, Mm -hmm. Uh then stuff can occur at scale that is completely unexpected. And I think you see it the most, like in the 50 to 100 to 200 people kind of range, because When you get gigantic, like a, you know, a Microsoft or an Amazon or something like that, it starts chopping up into pieces that are smaller. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the operational. Yeah. Whatever departments or, Mm -hmm. I mean, just geographically, it gets chopped up, whatever. True. If you have 10 people, everybody knows everybody else. Usually you don't get clicks in 10 people and usually you don't get back-channel conspiracy stuff in 10 people. But at 50 people or 100 people, you can start to get clicks and feuds and 
this group doesn't like the other group and all kinds of stuff. And you have to be conscious, A, that all of that can happen. And there are ways, techniques, management principles, whatever, that can help them not to arise and to definitely not get out of control. Because once they get out of control, that's when the toxicity starts up. And it's really hard to undo it. You know, once a culture establishes itself in a largish group, it's very hard to reboot it. Right. It Even the social norm. Right. And you bring new people in and they get absorbed into the toxicity. Yep. And that is almost becomes unstoppable. Right. It just and that's why when Tony's writing his book, it's like, I just want to get out of this because mm-hmm. I he was in charge. He created it. I, I can't uncreate what happened here. Mm-hmm. And the only way he could see was to just be done with it. Right. So that's a really good segue into another question uh, that I want to ask you is, as you think about the culture space and the successes and failures you've seen, even down to these little tiny proto startups that are coming out of your academic work, what do you think everybody needs to stop doing? What are people doing wrong on a regular basis that they need to stop doing? When you think about culture, there is a school of thought, which is the hands-off If you let a company start and then you let it grow and you don't pay any attention to culture or teams or team building or events or morale, then it's all just going to happen randomly. And often random stuff doesn't go the way you hope it will. It could land where, you know, in a good place. I guess if you had a miracle happened and you had a group of people all competent and all of goodwill, you could imagine a random, but that never happens. And so you have to tend the garden and you have to think about the culture and you have to have a vision for what you want it to be like, both for inside the company and the outward facing culture that people see, like customers are going to interact with your company. Right. And they're going to formulate a view of what your culture is like. And a fantastic example of that is Whole Foods. Before Amazon bought it, Whole Foods had a known culture. Everybody understood Uh that when you went to Whole Foods, here were the kind of people that worked at Whole Foods, and here was the kind of attitude they had, and here was the kind of you know, experience you were going to have when you went to Whole Foods, that it was a thing. And it's the same way with Chick-fil-A. Every Chick-fil-A I go to tends to feel like a well-run, well-oiled machine that's able to make consistently high quality food with a consistently nice experience. Generally speaking, the people are nice and they're competent and they're helpful and they seem to genuinely want you to to not feel bad from coming there. And (laughs) a lot of places aren't like that, right? So you do have the internal culture that people are feeling as they're working there. And then you have the customer experience of your culture. Those could be two completely different things, potentially, but often they're synced up. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a bad culture inside, customers are going to feel that. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you have to think about that. You aren't going to get the kind of experience you get at a great, think of anything, at a hotel or a restaurant or 
whatever, unless you're actively designing that experience and you're monitoring the experience and you're controlling the experience and you're making sure people are delivering the experience you want delivered. It's got to be thoughtful. So the next question I was going to ask you is what should everyone start doing in that space? And I actually think that that's just the converse of what you just said, right? Which is intentionally design and maintain your culture. Does that sound fair? Yeah. First, you have to hire good people. You have to not hire assholes and you have to not hire incompetent people. And I'm on that second thing, on competence versus incompetence. A lot of people become incompetent in a culture that encourages it. So people can rise to the occasion, but they can also fall you know, to the occasion as well. Right. And so you have to have quality people who are willing to play along, who get it. They want to be a part of a good culture as much as you want to create a good culture for them to be in. It's sort of reciprocal like that. Think about an aircraft carrier. It is an amazing working ecosystem and culture that's made up of a bunch of people who are under the age of 25 primarily, and they have risen to the occasion through a very active establishment of a culture. Now, that's the extreme case, right? They're in the military and they're being told what to do. And if they don't do what they're told, you can be court-martialed, you can be put in the brig. There are real effects that you can do in the military that you cannot necessarily do in corporate life. Right. But you end up with an aircraft carrier that runs like a, an amazing well-oiled machine right. because of its culture. There is an active set of things that are happening. One, uh, well, in that case, a whole tradition do not let aircraft carriers go off the rails. They have to have a good culture. Right, right. Makes perfect sense that you've got all this intentionality around that. And these, you could argue even that medals, right, are a form of recognition for service of a variety of kinds. And that that itself is to reinforce the underlying culture of service and of mission, right? Right. There's all a hundred, a thousand elements of that culture that are, you know, different or unique or unexpected from the whole hierarchy of command and the medals, as you said, and the uniforms and the, the way tasks are allocated and your sleep, I mean, even your sleeping schedule, right? They control everything <laughs> and it's all very regimental. No, absolutely. That's a culture, no, absolutely. but it My, gets I, a result. Yep. Now, my dad was an Air Force uh, officer, and uh, yeah, I, I, I saw it firsthand. I get it. I really like what you're talking about there in terms of that intentionality of design and hiring good people, as you said, because if you you know you get terrible people in the front end, there's going to be all kinds of issues there. So I want to bring this back to a couple more things as we sort of close out the time together here, and that is, if you could give the audience a particular takeaway could be a, a tangible insight or action, or it could just be a, a general uh, perspective on things. What's the takeaway that you'd like people to have? Well, first, if you've never really actively thought about culture, I would do something to educate myself. And that might be uh, reading Tony's book from Zappos called Delivering Happiness and or read the book, The No Asshole Rule, which is all about culture. 
mm-hmm. or you know, just go on Google or hire a consultant or whatever you want to do. You have to get into your head the importance of culture and then the parameters around it and then the things you can do to get good outcomes. Otherwise, you don't know what you're doing. And, and then the next thing is the thing we've been hitting on, which is you have to have an intention of what you want your culture to be like, both inside and from your customer's perspective. What is it that makes people want to come to your company and interact with it or get up out of bed and come into the company and work at it? Because if you have that, like if you have people wanting to come to work because it's a good experience, that is so valuable. I can't overstate how cool it is to work on a great team. Mm-hmm. It just is the most rewarding thing ever, mm-hmm. especially when it, you know, when it delivers something that's epic. Great answer. And I'm going to ask to drill down just a little bit further on that and say, what's the most tangible action that an individual can take in that space? Look out at the world and find a couple examples that you really like. I'm a huge believer in copying stuff that work. If something's working, take advantage of it, like learn from it. Hire some people who work there and have them bring that genetic material into your company. Get into your head what you want your company to feel like inside and outside. And then you know, maybe you have a person or a couple people who are in charge of culture, like make it a, a thing, a, an actual position so that you have people who are doing your social media who are specialists. You have people who do your finances who are specialists. Why not have, since culture is so important, why not have somebody actively in charge of that and, and monitoring it? You know, the old, you can't improve something you can't measure, you know, just make it a thing like, like the other things in your company that are important, pretty high importance because having a great group of people, I mean, that is the company. That's a great statement. I completely agree. I love the idea of a culture specialist or I've actually seen some CEOs who've taken to calling themselves chief engagement officers. Nice. Well, I want to say this has been a really good discussion, really good conversation. Is there anything else you want to add here as we, as we close out? Another way of thinking this might be, what is the one thing you want somebody to remember a month after they've heard this podcast? First of all, culture is incredibly important to the soul of the company. It is going to determine whether or not people want to come into work each day. And if you can create a place that people want to come to and want to be a part of, it is going to make their lives significantly better. And it's going to make it much easier to do a lot of things that are important, like hiring and retention and performance. It is going to make the company work so much better to have a good culture that you really can't put enough emphasis on it. Thank you so much, Marshall. As always, it's an absolute delight to talk to you. It's thought-provoking. It's thoughtful. It's funny. It's just a whole sea of really great things to think about. Sure. This has been a lot of fun, and I wish you great good fortune with your podcasting here. This is, this is great. 
Once again, uh, we've been speaking with Marshall Brain, professor at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I am Ted Benson, co-founder and managing partner of Corral and Chaos, a management consulting firm. We are a catalyst for authentic leadership and high-performing teams. Please find us on the web at corrallingchaos.com, two R's, two L's. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and hopefully you'll come back for another one of these podcasts. Thanks very much and have a wonderful day.